Great soloists, inspiring musicians, magical conductors, simply sublime music. Welcome to the sound of the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra. Coming up on the podcast, meeting the players of the orchestra. We have a very varied schedule where we go all over the country and, and the world, and we have many different programmes that we perform, and we do a lot of concerts. The finest music, the finest musicians. Welcome to the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra.
associated by many as the theme to the Lone Ranger television series that was the finale to Rossini's William Tell Overture. Ladies and gentlemen, the players from the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra. My name is Adam Wright, I'm a trumpet player in the orchestra and also chairman of the orchestra. The Royal Philharmonic Orchestra is quite unusual in that respect, isn't it? Because it's very collegiate, it's very cooperative in the way that it's run. Exactly, it is a cooperative. The board of directors is made up of player members and the managing director. And yes, we run the orchestra and own the orchestra ourselves. And you play in the orchestra? That is correct, yes. <laughs> and you're a member of the brass section, is that right? Yeah, I'm a trumpet player, so it's quite a heavy night tonight with the John Williams programme, but great music to play. But wasn't that quite an onerous decision to take to decide that you wanted to be part of the team that is steering such an amazing organisation? Um, it's something that interests me. Of course, it has difficult days as well as good days, but it, I'm very interested in that. And obviously, we need people to do it. I have a fantastic board that supports us, both myself and the managing director, and I think it works very well. Being part of the orchestra, does that make it easier to, uh, to, to keep them in check or not? It does make it easier because I know exactly what people's feelings are. They don't have to go very far to let me know what the problems are or if they're unhappy about anything, and also equally what works well. So I think everything happens very quickly, and I'm aware of everyone's feelings. So I think, yeah, it does does work very well. So you can second guess, in a way, if you're making the, the big planning decisions, you can get second guess what uh, what your colleagues are going to be thinking. Yeah, exactly. You know, people very easily speak to me or anyone on the board because we're always around. You know, we're always here at concerts and work every day. So yeah, it's very easy to us for us to hopefully get make the right decisions and plan for the future. Now they always say that these are very difficult times for the arts in general, orchestras maybe specifically, and there are a lot of orchestras in London, in the UK. Do you see that as a problem? Because you seem to be one of the great survivors of orchestras. I think the RPO does have that reputation as being a great survivor, partly because we've gone through a couple of tricky periods in our history, but as have many of the orchestras in London, to be honest. London is a fantastic city with many brilliant orchestras and chamber orchestras, um, and we all do things slightly differently. Um, you know, we have our, the RPO has its own niche, if you want. We do our own thing. We're at Cadogan, obviously, where none of the other orchestras are, which is fantastic for us. But we all seem to get along, and we just work differently to orchestras on the continent, I think, partly because of the situation that we're under, both, one, because of the finances and the way we're funded, but also because of the fact that there are so many orchestras in this in this capital city, we need to find our own niche. In talking to some of your musicians, no day seems to be the same. You might be out on tour. Here, we're in the, uh, the basement of the Royal Albert Hall at the moment, just before a concert you've got coming up uh, short, in between two concerts, I think, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Likewise, you could be at the Cadogan Hall, which is a totally different space as well. Uh, yeah. as a, with your player hat on, do you mind, do you have a, a preference for, for what you're doing? Um, not really, because we tend to do different repertoire at each venue. So at the Albert Hall we do big concerts, so it's, tonight is a John Williams film music gala, and obviously as a brass player that's fantastic. At Cadogan obviously we couldn't do this concert, because it would just be too loud, the windows would probably fall out, and we couldn't fit the players on the stage, so we do slightly different repertoire. And equally at the Festival Hall we do our big classical concerts. Um, so it's because of different repertoire, it, it, it suit, they suit the venue, so actually I don't really mind playing any of them, they're all fantastic places to perform. And repertoire, again, this is film music today, yeah. but equally you could be playing more classical repertoire. From your point of view, I mean, you say it's quite rip-roaring to be doing the, yeah. uh, the John Williams, yeah. but do you also en enjoy the other side? It's music is music, I guess. Yeah. Oh, oh, yes. I mean, personally speaking, I like the variety. I think a lot of people and members in the RPO do. As you say, we have a very varied schedule where we go all over the country and, and the world, and we have many different programmes that we perform, and we do a lot of concerts, you know, every year. And, I, yeah, I like that variety, and 
and I think it's, it's, it's part of what the RPO is. Probably an impossible question. If you had to come up with a, an ideal piece of music, an ideal place in the world, ideal concert hall, do you have anything that springs to mind? The Symphony Hall in Birmingham is fantastic. I mean, there are many, many great halls on the continent. In this country, Symphony Hall is fantastic, as are all London halls. I love Russian music, particularly enjoy playing Shostakovich. So, you know, Shostakovich Symphony is brilliant. Equally, Charles Dutoit is amazing at French repertoire, is amazing at everything, but particularly the French repertoire. We've done a lot of Daphnis and Chloe performances recently, and that was amazing. Equally, at the, here at the Proms, we did a whole, the whole Respighi three tone poems this year, and that was brilliant. So I think it's very difficult to narrow it down to one, one hall and one piece, I think. The Royal Philharmonic is going to go, I guess, from strengths to strengths, but do you see any sort of differences in the way that you're going to be behaving? I think we have to evolve, but I think that's the case with many organisations. I'm confident that we will go from strength to strength, as you say, and we will move with the times. And yes, a lot of that is to do with media and social media and streaming and the internet. But yeah, we're always trying to get one step ahead and try and provide ultimately fantastic concerts that audience members want to come and hear and come back to the next year. From September 2017 through to June 2018, World Philharmonic Orchestra brings you a feat of electric orchestral repertoire that showcases some of the young and dynamic talent that the world has to offer. Featuring renowned international soloists such as the pianists Alexandra Danescu and Dmitry Maslif, as well as the cellist Leonard Elsenrak and violinist Esther Yu, this is a season not to be missed.
from the opera Cavalleria Rusticana. That was the Intermezzo by Pietro Mascagni. Following the success of John Rutter's 70th birthday concert in 2015, the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra collaborate with John Rutter once again at the awe-inspiring St Paul's Cathedral. This concert will feature some of the most mesmerising pieces of music ever written, including Vaughan Williams' Tranquil Fantasia on a Theme by Thomas Tallis, a special premiere written by John Rutter himself, and Foray's Magnificent Requiem. Join the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra and John Rutter for this special concert at St Paul's Cathedral on the 26th of October 2017. Ladies and gentlemen, the players from the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra. I'm Roger Argente, I'm the bass drum player in the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra. Was this the first orchestra that you, you came no, to work with? I had a job, when I left college I went to the Bournemouth Symphony Orchestra for seven years and then I got the job here. Was that quite a different, different thing to do, to go from the Bournemouth Symphony Orchestra? Were they doing something different from the RPO or was it...? I think the greatest difference was the pattern of work in Bournemouth. It was very much um, Monday and Tuesday rehearsals, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday concerts, uh, weekend off. Um, Wednesday was always a local concert. Uh, here with the RPO, there's no rhyme or reason. You know, we were in Switzerland, Austria and Italy last week. We were off to Russia in a couple of weeks' time. You know, we're here today, we're somewhere else tomorrow. It, it's, uh, you know, you've got to keep tabs on things. I have to write, write notes to myself to tell me where to go and what clothes to bring for which concert. White jackets today, which we don't always wear. So, you know, you've got, you've got to hang that up a couple of days beforehand so you remember to take it out. Always things like that. So it keeps you on your toes. Never made a mistake and actually brought in the, uh, the blacks instead of the whites or the whites instead of the blacks. I, I forgot a white shirt once and um, we had our orchestra manager, Jane, Jane Moss, and she had like a white blouse and she lent it to me, but um, she, she never was able to wear it again because I'd stretched it so much. <laughs> Now, this confession, so you wear women's clothing on stage? Yeah, don't tell everyone about that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was very embarrassing. You mentioned it in a very blasé way that you're in this country one day, you're in another country the next, yeah. uh, you're up and down the country. I mean, the RPO gets about a bit, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I, I can't remember the exact number, but we've got something like 13 residencies. I, I think it's really important to go to these places. Some of these places are, are more fashionable, you know, perhaps that's not the right word, some, but I, I think of it that way. Some places are a bit more, a bit more happening places and some of them aren't. And I think that's very exciting to take, take concerts to places uh, where you're really welcome. Uh, some of the places in particular that I like going to because the audience is such a, you get such a good vibe of them are places like Lowestoft and, and Scunthorpe, which is a new one. You know, the audiences are full every time we go there. And if you go at the front, you can have a chat with these people. And, you know, it's, it's, it's nice to do that kind of thing. And it's very often fun repertoire as well, isn't it? For example, and we were talking at the moment in the, the basement of the Royal Albert Hall, it's film music. Yeah, well, it's, it's film music, possibly the, the, you know, arguably the best from composer John Williams. Um, but saying that, you know, we, this, this big concert that we did last year uh, was with the music of John Barry, which is, you know, that's, that's different. That's very exciting. And then the year before, we did this with John Williams again. I think next year, it's, it's probably someone different. And they're all different, you know. And I think the big thing about John Williams is he sort of reinvents himself all the time. It's all, there's nothing, nothing the same about his music, you know. Some of the Star, the Star Wars and, the, and those kind of films, Superman, maybe there's a little bit of similarity. But then if you throw things in like Schindler's List and Jaws and E.T. and... Um, What's the one with the dinosaurs? Jurassic Park. You know, that, that's just completely different. So, you, you know, it's, it's very exciting. It's quite demanding, but um, it's, it's nice demanding. You know. Do you get a greater sense of a connection with the audience if you're working with film music? I, mean, I suppose if you're doing something a bit more traditional, more classical music, it can be 
quite straight-laced, or people feel as though it can be quite straight-laced, and this is the last night of the proms, for example. But if you're working with film music, do you get a greater sense of, of the people out there in the gloom? Yeah, I, I, I think as, as musicians, in, in, especially in this, in this orchestra, we don't take for granted that we're playing film music instead of classical music. We think of it's all part of the job and package. Sometimes in the press you read about things where they're, you know, dumbing down or things like that. I, I, I think it's quite the opposite, actually. This is what's exciting. This is what's driving lots of parts of our industry. I'm very fortunate to have recorded quite, some, quite a few of the scores that we've done today and some of the others with, with the composers. And it's, it's seeing what's written, seeing what's um, orchestrated, seeing things put to the screen and things like that. It's like, this is, this is really exciting stuff. I know the argument is that sometimes it's just sort of bite size. It's a couple of minutes of this, a couple of minutes of that. But, you know... This is London, and you know life's fast, and you, you perhaps you just you haven't got time to sit down for a big meal. You've just got to grab something quick and and wholesome, if you like. Can I ask you some very quick fire questions? Yes. Do you remember the first piece of music that you listened to and thought, "I want to be a musician"? Uh, yes, it was. Um, I was very lucky to go to um, our local state school in South Wales. Uh, had a very good music department, and we used to come up to London every year and take part in competitions and the schools' proms. And then my first couple of months playing the trombone played Schubert's Great C Major Symphony, Symphony Number no. 9. First movement of that, that was the first piece. And um, it, it was in lots of flats, and I, I didn't know what positions. So my teacher had to write some of these positions in for me. And um, there's a section in that piece where the, the trombones all play in unison, the three trombones. And I kept making mistakes with these flats because I, I didn't know where fifth position was and things. And uh, the conductor said to me, you know, Roger, perhaps it'd be best if you leave it out, leave it to the older, two older boys, you know, and I, I took umbrage at that. And I, I learned it. And that, that was the first piece I properly played. And we, we actually won the competition that year and ended up coming back and playing at the school proms. So, yeah, it's very, very uh, easy for me to answer that question. Favourite piece of music? Oh, that's too difficult. It's just, there's just too much out there. We've, we've recently done Bartok's Miraculous Mandarin. I really like that. We did Shostakovich's 15th Symphony in Montreux. That was a new one to me. Uh, it is nice to come across new classical pieces because I feel I've done most of them. Um, we had a great prom. We did all the three big uh, Respighi uh, Roman trilogies. That's That was quite demanding. Well, that was very demanding. Yeah, th- perhaps that repertoire, but if we also do, th- you know, Charles Dutoy is very good at the French repertoire, such as um, Daphnis and Chloe and things like that. And, uh, you know, I really like playing that. And, you know, for a trombone player, there's not an awful lot to do, but you can just sit back and just really enjoy what's going on around you and what your colleagues are up to.
was another great last night of the prom's favourite, Hubert Parry's Jerusalem. Set on words by English poet William Blake, Parry's soaring melody has become inextricably linked with Blake's images of dark satanic mills, England's mountains green and a chariot of fire. Ladies and gentlemen, the players from the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra. I'm Ben Cunningham. I play the double bass. There's a lot of people here who've, who've been here quite some time. So to come into that kind of group of people who know each other well and then play with them, is that a difficult thing to do? No, not with this orchestra. It's a very friendly bunch of people, really supportive, very lovely. There's no kind of, there's very little ego here. There's, um, you know, you kind of, you have to all muck in together so much on tours and things like that. So you just kind of get thrown in and, you know, you Everybody muddles along together. It's it's really nice. It's been a great, great few years. I really enjoyed it. Have they told you some horror stories about the RPO? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I've I've heard a few bits and bats, but I think there's um, there's a lot of stories that are, are kind of apocryphal, apocryphal professional stories that are random about the place. So. Now you play the double bass. Now that's not an easy instrument to get around. No. Now does that cause any particular problems? Transporting the instrument, we have a, a fantastic team of people who who get our instruments to the right place at the right time, um, whether that be Kazakhstan or Italy or. Croydon or Watford when you're doing it yourself there is a certain amount of lugging that has to be done you know particularly if you don't I don't drive so if you don't drive and you've got a double base on public transport it can be uh, can be a bit of a nightmare sometimes but but you you get around it you you manage I don't have to buy an extra ticket on the bus for the double base not usually sometimes you get a little um, bit of a, a job's worth every now and again who, who has a go about your double base but generally generally they're all right now with the touring you've just mentioned several names all over the world, different places, this country, other countries as well. Do you mind where you play? Do you like touring? Do you like playing in different places? I think if you didn't like touring, you'd be in the wrong job, to be honest. We go away pretty much every month. Sometimes we're away. We've just done a four-week tour of America, which is a long time to be away from home. It's one of the most enjoyable aspects of the job. You get to go to a place and really kind of see a different side to it than you would as a tourist because you're working there and you have to interact with the people there who work at the halls and stuff. It's also very varied as well. You, you get to play in some fabulous halls around the world and you get fabulous meals often you know after the concert we'll go out for a meal and you know it's it's one of the most enjoyable parts of the job for me. Did you always intend to get into an orchestra what was your path to here? I went to a specialist music school from the age of kind of GCSE age and then I went to the Royal Academy of Music and uh, Juilliard School in New York. Now as a double bass player there is a certain certain momentum pushing you towards being an orchestral player because there isn't really many career options other than that there, there aren't many solo double bass players out there there's not much of a market for them so you, you're prepared from a very early age to, to be heading towards an orchestra so it's been something I've wanted to do for, for a very long time now. Now some of the instruments in the orchestra are rare or rarely played I think that's probably the best way of putting it is that the same with the double bass or are there plenty of double bass players around? Well there, there aren't as many double bass players around as there are say violinists, flautists cellists there aren't as many jobs around, so that kind of, you know, uh, balances out the numbers. But certainly getting younger kids to play the double bass has been a, a preoccupation of bass teachers over the last 20 years or so, kind of introducing it early and introducing the, the charms of it, which, you know, it's not as immediately attractive to a lot of people as, say, being a big tune player on the violin or the cello is. You know, introducing it to kids at an early age and, and getting them involved in ensemble playing and getting them involved in orchestra and, and just exposing them to just what a great instrument it is to play is, is a really important part of it.
I presume you're wedded to orchestral music in the orchestra, but the double bass actually t turns up in quite a lot of ensembles and in swing bands, for example. Do you also play other kinds of music? I play quite a lot of chamber music, but that's, I suppose that's still classical. I used to be in a, a great jazz quintet when I was in my teenage years. We used to do weddings and bar mitzvahs and the like, and so that was quite fun, but, but not so much anymore. Not so much. I mean, the, the job kind of takes up so much time that if you want to take time off, then, then you kind of, you know, you have to weigh it up and all that kind of stuff. So it tends to be chamber music that I take time off for now.
That was Edward Elgar's Nimrod from his Enigma Variations. Composed in 1899, Elgar used each variation as a musical sketch of one of his close acquaintances. In his Nimrod, Elgar portraits one of his dearest friends. This piece of music has subsequently become one of his most recognisable melodies and is frequently played at last night of the prom's celebrations. Thank you for listening to the sound of the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra. Tune in to our next episode where we will meet Hilary de Van Vetten, Artistic Director and Principal Conductor of the City of London Choir. We're in the middle of this series of late Haydn masses and they are, in my view, six of the greatest things ever put down by a European composer. If you'd like more information about the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra, please visit rpo.co.uk.